following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. But this morning, I'm excited to conclude our series. We've been going through this series about facing the giants. It's been really cool. And so what I wanted to do, since there's been a lot of really great stuff that's come up in this, um, I wanted to kind of recap on these giants. These giants are really the, the obstacles that we all have in life because we all have obstacles. We all have things that set us back and hinder us. The devil would love for us to stay there. And we see story after story in the Bible of God's people running into obstacles and deciding to do one or two things. To respond negatively and turn around and go the other way or to say, you know what, God is with me, I'm going right through this. And there's so many different obstacles. And so we broke them down on what are the biggest obstacles or the biggest giants in the life of a believer. And we're going to be looking at those today because these obstacles, these giants will either hinder you from walking in the fullness of God's calling and promise, or you will walk through these giants and get in on God's call and future. That's the way the giants work. And Israel is a case study of how this works out. And my question for all of us this morning is, which one will you be? Will you be the one who identifies your giants legitimately? Don't act like we don't have them. We, there's giants in the land. But will you identify them and deal with them in life or kind of walk around them and try to pretend they're not there? Because to be honest with you, this is what happens. Even in the lives of believers, some believers can go through their whole life really not dealing with certain things because it's a little close to home or whatever the issue might be, and they don't deal with the giants, they don't overcome them, and they don't walk in the fullness of the calling. Again, Israel is a case study of this. Uh, When Israel was going into the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan was the land of promise. It's the place where God's saying, look, I didn't make you for Egypt, and I didn't make you for the desert. I made you for Canaan. This is the land. This is your inheritance over there, just like in the life of a believer. Not just heaven, but the abundant life and the things and the calling God has for us here and now. The hope in the future. I know the plans I have for you. They're not to harm you, but to prosper you, give you hope in the future. Those kind of things. Like in Ephesians, I know the works I have ordained from the foundations of the world for you. God's like, I got stuff for you if you walk in it. Just like Israel, there's a land of promise. Will you walk in it? And Israel realizes, wait a minute, there's giants. And Israel says, whoa, uh, Israel says, we are not going to walk in that land because there are giants. And the reality is, there's something about God calling us to this zone, but this appearance of giants coming up and how you and I respond to those giants. Israel responded negatively. Israel looked at these giants and said, no way, and turned around and went back. And that entire generation didn't get into the land of promise. And to me, that's like the biggest bummer in the Old Testament. When you look at all the stories, you're thinking all these people got, they missed out and got robbed on their destiny and their promise and their future. Yes, because people had too much fear to deal with these giants head on. Joshua and Caleb saw the giants and realized they knew the God they served and they weren't afraid of dealing with giants. But the reality is we do the same thing. There's places in our lives, guys, that God wants you to occupy, to occupy. Don't say, oh, it's that big house up on the hill or that summer home in Maui. Maybe, but 
That's not the point. There are places God wants you to occupy, to occupy the land. That's what he told Israel. When you go into the land of promise, occupy the land. I'm giving it to you, but you have to take it. Occupy the land. It's the land of promise. There's things in your calling and in mine and our future and the destiny and the fullness of God's promise that he has, but stuff is going to get in the way, specifically the devil saying, no, don't come this way. And he sends these things that seem like giants. And that's why we were dealing with this series. The devil tries to put these obstacles in our way and our response will determine whether we get in on the promises or we don't get in on the promises. Our faith and obedience, no matter what, or responding the wrong way. Uh, if you're a note taker this morning, we're going we're gonna to recap on this series and I'm kind of doing a, a drive-by, a fly-by, if you will, on this. Um, LA would be called a drive-by, I think. Um, the first one this morning, if you note taker, is there will be giants in the land. It's been said that if there are no giants in the land, you're probably in the wrong land. <laughs> there, there, there'll be giants. There will be obstacles. Jesus said you'll always have tribulation. Stuff is going to come against us. It's not a matter of if it does, it's when it does, how do we respond to it. So no one's exempt from this stuff. But what we have to remember, like young King David, there may be giants in the land, but I serve a giant slaying God. Amen? Amen. We serve a giant slaying God. There are giants. Yes, let's not pretend there aren't any giants. There are some major obstacles and some major walls we run into, but we serve a giant slaying God, and that's the good news. We've got to remember that. And the next point is the second point this morning is that it's not that we're ignorant to the facts. We look at all the facts and we realize the real picture and the snapshot, but our faith, our faith interprets the facts differently. We don't interpret the facts the way everybody else does. Yes, there's stuff. Yes, there's obstacles. But our faith, by definition, our faith interprets differently. See, our faith interprets through the promises of God. That's the lens that we have on. And God's got promises for his people. We can trust in him. Faith, by definition, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the unseen. The world will say, I don't see it. I don't believe it. That's what the world will say. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work that way. We believe in the invisible. We believe in the promises of God. So our faith interprets facts differently. And that's an important one because we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And there's no way me or you or any one of us are going to have victory in the things of God if we're walking around walking by sight. And that's why our faith has to interpret differently because we can't do everything by what we see. There are greater things than the unseen. The Bible says that, and we've been looking at that in the last few weeks. But Israel had this fear. And instead of walking in faith, their fear kept them away from God's promises. And when we looked at giants, one of the first ones we looked at is fear, the giant of fear. And it's the same with us, that everyone has some fears. What we do with those fears are monumental. King David, he's a guy who took on a giant at a young age. He's a guy who ended up leading armies. A guy is like a straight-up warrior. And yet David had some legitimate fears. And I love this about him. He's, he says in Psalm 34, 4, and since we're skipping around a bit today, these are in your bulletin rather than flipping through the word, but it says in Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Second Timothy says God didn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. So fear is real. We can't pretend that it's not, but will it rule us or will we rule it? 
And some people are ruled by a giant of fear. And fear rules them. And the giant of fear stays in control in the life of a believer. They love Jesus. But the fear is the driving factor on what they do or don't do. And as a result, they never get in on the fullness of occupying the land. Does that make sense? This is a big one. Now, for some of you, it might be fear. Um, Others, it might be doubt. Um, But we have to identify fears, confess them to the Lord like David did, and ask God to give you some faith. Ask God to take away fears and replace it with faith. Ask him for a greater endowment of faith so that you can get through that stuff. Because fear, it's interesting, people are motivated by a lot of great things. Conquest and what, where they think they're going to go or what God's going to call them to do or what God's going to do through their life. There's a lot of motivation that way. But there's also another motivator and it's a negative one. And fear will hinder people. Fear ends up being sometimes people's biggest motivator on why they won't go past a certain point because of fears. And it's a silent one, but they're real, guys. We all have fears. David has fears, and we can't say, well, I don't have any fears. You haven't maybe looked deep enough. We all have fears. We've got to come to terms with what they are, and will we let that giant hold us back? Are we going to bust through that because we serve a giant slaying God? The next giant was doubt. And we said the same way that fear hinders the heart, doubt hinders the mind. And if you happen to be more of the mindset, you go through life really checking your heart on everything and your, your heart is really processing a lot, well, then fear might be the bigger giant there. And if you, have to be, if you happen to be more of the cognitive type where you're trying to figure everything out and you kind of want to understand everything and calculate everything, if you tend to be a little bit more that way, a little bit more linear, well, then doubt is usually the bigger one because that's the one that the mind can't reconcile with. The mind has a problem with the math. The mind has a problem with God's economy. The mind doesn't understand the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? The mind can't understand the magnitude of God. In fact, Psalm says, Lord, your ways are above our ways, just the way the heavens are above the earth. I mean, we can't even comprehend your ways yet when we walk in our understanding, when we walk in our mind, we have a big problem with some of the things God's trying to do. We have a problem with comprehending them and doubt gets right in the way. And we saw this come up in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. The devil came to Eve and started planting seeds of doubt. He didn't talk to her heart, was talking to her mind. Did God really say that? Is that what he really meant? <laughs> Not for you. Didn't really mean that, did it? And in her mind, she was starting to go, well, I don't know. Well, maybe he did. And all of a sudden, this is where the warfare started to happen, right in her mind. Did God really say that? And the devil wants you and I to question the same thing. Did God really say that? This isn't your heart. This is your mind. This is doubt. I don't know. I think he did. Well, maybe he didn't. Or does this really apply to me? Well, maybe not me. Maybe that's other people. And so doubt starts to, to, to well up inside and hinder us from things. And it's an enormous, an enormous thing. We, we saw how in Matthew 14, Peter gets out of the boat. Jesus says in the middle of the storm, come to me. And he gets out, but as soon as he sees in the natural, hears waves and sees water, all in the natural, he starts to think, this is crazy. I mean, the guy's starting to think, wait a second, I'm seriously doubting that this is doable. Why am I not on the boat with my friends? You know, they're smarter than me. And he's out there and he starts to, he starts to because of his doubt, he starts to sink because of his doubt. And the reality is, you and I will also sink because of our doubt. Doubt is big. 
Whereas fear resides in the heart, doubt resides in the mind. And these giants will hold us back from from what God has for us. It's really, really important. Uh, Our third point this morning is that, is that our fears and doubts will lead to our sinking. They really will. There is no way if, and we have fears and doubts. Let's be honest, church. There are doubts and fears that we have. It's not like we don't have them. It's what do we do with them? Because if we just hold on to these fears and doubts, and these fears and doubts uh, direct our paths or limit the decisions we make, we will be ruled by those. The Bible says a man is a slave to whatever masters him. A woman is a slave to whatever masters her. And if fear and doubt are the ruling um, aspects of our life, if that ends up being the dominion over us, well, then we are a slave to the giants of fear and doubt. Jesus told Thomas in John 20, stop doubting and believe. It's like, guys, the kingdom of God is ahead of you. You've got so much potential. There's so much stuff. I'm going to use you in profound ways. There are cities that are going to change because of you, but you've got to stop doubting and believe. And here we see a snapshot of God having things for you to occupy, but the doubt getting in the way or the fear getting in the way. And Jesus is like, stop doubting and believe. He goes on to say, blessed are those who believe and do not see because they're the ones who are going to occupy. Blessed are they. Blessed are they. But sometimes our heart gets in the way. Sometimes our mind gets in the way. Um, I love Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because the mind simply can't comprehend the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God is, as we said, it's so the dimensions of what God can do and will do. Uh, with God, all things are possible, but in our mind, all things are certainly not possible. In fact, there's a million reasons why things can't work out in our mind, but with God, all things are possible. And that's why we're told to trust in the Lord and, and lean not on our own understanding. That's really, really hard. I don't know about you guys, but there's been many times in my life where I've had a hard time trying to comprehend what God was doing in the kingdom of God. Have you guys in the kingdom, like, God, what are you doing? And and not, you can't crack it, you can't figure it out. That's exactly what I'm talking about. If we limit ourselves to what we can comprehend, we're going to fully miss out on occupying and walking in the promises God has for us. Same with the the believers, same with the Old Testament, the New, it's all throughout the Bible. Uh, The next giants we looked at were uh, the giants of our past and the giants of unforgiveness. And there's another powerful one to reckon with. Maybe fear and doubt aren't that big on your list, but there's a point where you got to reckon with these giants of past and unforgiveness. Because we all have different experiences from our past, and some of those are good and some of those are bad, but going way back, to even the formative years of what family was or what family was not. Um, On what having a a, a mother and a father that loved us or not having those. Be honest with you, this is where identity begins to set in. And why is this important? Because some people haven't reconciled any of this stuff and they believe in Jesus. And that's beautiful. But the reality is there is a hindrance and an anchor that's being dragged from long ago. And there's not a future in that. The reality is we have to come to terms with issues of of, uh, what's referred to as the father wound. Um, I heard a statistic the other day. They said something like 60% of all kids these days are being raised in homes without a father in America. I'm like, that is crazy. That wasn't like that 20 years ago. 
I mean, are you guys seeing the trend like going off a cliff or is it just me? Okay. And the devil loves that, by the way, because the devil wants people disconnected with the Father so they don't comprehend a loving Heavenly Father. You see how that works? If the devil can ruin the Father role, he's got half his battle done. It's really important, guys. Um, you know, and no matter what your experience on earth was with an earthly father, having one, a good one, or not having one, can't compare the broken human condition to a loving heavenly father. And that's something, another thing that God's got to heal and restore because without that, there's this block, there's this hindrance and we can't fully go further. Uh, Maybe it's matters in the past regarding our failures. Maybe areas where we messed up. Maybe where we had bad experiences. Things like that. Maybe, Maybe things spoken over you. Maybe when you were young, somebody said something to you. Maybe somebody spoke down at you or, 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 or minimized you or said things to you that really wounded the soul, sometimes we can go through life, you know, believing some of this stuff with some of these cracks in the slab. And it's a reality to be reckoned with because that ends up growing into a giant and we really believe these issues of identity and God's like, that's not the identity I have for you. Who told you that? Why do you believe that? And it was back... Just like in the concrete, as the concrete's trying to cure, some bad things got thrown in there. Does that make sense? Here's another giant we got to deal with, is the giant of, the giant of past. Um, but too many people never accept their calling because of their past, and that breaks my heart. And I know it breaks God's heart, because the Bible's full of people's stories whose past was messed up, and yet God intervened and radically changed the future. But there are so many people that stop right there. Well, my past is messed up, so I'll always be messed up. And how can God ever use me? And, and they just stay stuck in this zone. And God's like, oh boy, don't believe that. Don't believe that. Um, happens so many times. What also happens, and I see this in the faith, I see this in the church, where maybe the reality is we were a victim from something from the past. Something you didn't deserve, something that was flat out wrong. You were a victim. Yes, you were. And you didn't enjoy being a victim. But why in the world would we stay a victim? That's baffling to me. That's another one the devil wants to keep people. Yes, maybe you were victimized in some way and it was wrong. It was not right. It was, it was bad and we didn't like it anyway. But why would we choose to stay a victim? Because some folks say, well, you don't know what I went through, and they just stay in that place. Rather than saying, that was then, and rather than saying, yesterday died last night. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. They don't do that. They don't do that. Why don't they do that? Because the giant of past is alive and well, and they're still, you don't know what I've been through, and maybe you can say that, but not me, and I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to probably be stuck forever. That is a lie. That's the giant of past, alive and well, having full control. A man is a slave to whatever masters him. Or a woman's a slave, and that's a giant of... Does that make sense, guys? This is enormous. This is past. Um, Don't stay a victim. The fourth point this morning is stop letting your past dictate your future. Stop letting your past dictate your future. You can't let your past dictate your future. You can't. God's not calling us to a past. He's calling us to a future. In fact, when you look at Hebrews, you look at the story of God's Hall of Fame, none of these people stayed in their past. They got called out of something and they moved on in faith 
and we're talking about them 3,000 years later. Why? Because they're not called to a past, they're called to a future. This is important. The kingdom of God is full of redemption stories, and I stand before you as one of those today. Many of you are those redemption stories. I can't stay in my past. I had points as a little kid I didn't want to live. I went through stuff, am I going to sit there, oh, this life is so terrible, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to blame every. No, I got to move on. I have to give people life. That's what I'm called to do, to share life. That's what the gospel does. It's a life-giving gospel. I'm motivated to do that because of my past, which tells me, and I see it throughout the Bible, your past can paralyze you or propel you, but the choice is entirely yours. Do you want your past to propel you? I'm motivated because I, I know how people can get, and I don't want them to get there, and if they do, I want them to break out. Some of you have the same story. What do you do with that? You turn around and you start giving life. You turn around and start being a freedom fighter. That's what you do. Or you stay there and just complain and say, this is why I'm stuck for the rest of my life. And we stay there. Staying a victim, that's a choice, guys. Our past can paralyze or propel. And when I see what the Spirit of God wants to do in people's lives, and I see it throughout the Bible, He doesn't keep people there. He moves them on. I don't care where they're from or what they're done. Forget not the quarry from which you were dug and the rock from which you were hewn. In other words, we're all from the bottom of a rock quarry. But that's not who we are today. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And he's conforming us into his image. And he's putting his spirit in earthen vessels to do radical things. That's our identity, church. And so if we stay there, we're going to be stuck. And we're always going to be moaning and complaining, kind of like the Eeyore syndrome. Well, you never know what I went through. <laughs> if, you, if you only were there, you would understand why I'm so lame. It's like, no, guys, come on. That, that's not who you are. That's not who any of us are. He who is in Christ is a new creation. Come on, we got to get in on this new creation. Um, the next big one, the next big giant, and it was a huge one, is the giant of unforgiveness. The giant of unforgiveness. Because what's different about this giant, this one is self-inflicted. This giant, we choose to walk in a cage and stay there. It's really our choice. Um, choosing to forgive or not to forgive, it's really, really a choice. Um, and we're told in Hebrews, watch out, Hebrews 12, 15, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And he's talking to the church saying, believers, if you don't forgive, unforgiveness grows into this bitter root. It's a bitter root in the life of a believer. And the root gets bitter and it, it poisons the well and it goes down deep in your soil and, or mine and it, it says corrupts many. In other words, believers were doing good but they got cut off somehow. They got ripped off along the way because they didn't deal with forgiveness and this bitter root. This is what he's writing to the church. So unforgiveness is a big deal. It poisons our heart and it imprisons ourselves. That's the, the reality of it. So um, the fifth point this morning is it's a command. This is not an option. This is not a choice. This is not a feeling. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the only way to knock out the giant of unforgiveness. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's Colossians 3.13. It's not even a choice. It's not an option. It's not like, well, I don't feel like it yet. Jesus is like, I died for the sins of the world, and I took away all your sins, but you're going to hold that one against them? Come on. That's not how the kingdom works. It's like, I died for all the sins of the world. I even died for that one that you're holding on to. Would you put it back on the cross? That's how powerful the redemption of Jesus is. And yet, we'll take all of his forgiveness. God, take away my sins. Thank you. But I'm holding on to that one. 
because they don't deserve to be set free. And in so doing, we captivate, we, we become captive ourselves. And so that one is a self-inflicted one. And that's, that's a sad, you will never possess the land God's calling us to when we're holding on to stuff like this. Uh, the first one to forgive, by the way, is the first one free. So you gotta, gotta you know, the sooner you wanna be free, the sooner you gotta start forgiving. There's no future in that. There's no land of promise in that. And uh, in fact, the Bible, when we dealt with this, it even talks about when we don't forgive, our prayers being blocked and hindered because and, our heart's not right. Our heart's not right. Um, the next giants, these were big ones that we dealt with. We dealt with the giant of self and the giant of desire. And this is probably, when we talk about self, it's probably the missing link in modern Christianity, I believe. It's the missing link. It's the part of the gospel that goes unspoken or gets left out sometimes. And I believe it's why our faith is void of power sometimes. The church in America, I really do. And this is the part of the gospel, and it's centered to the gospel, but for some reason we're, we're just saying, just believe and say a prayer, and we're not talking about this part of the gospel. The good news is this, that Jesus said, if you want to live, you've got to die, and whoever loses his life will find it. And, and there's a reality of dying, but no one wants to talk about dying. Everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. There's a reality that there's a dying in order to live. And if we lose our lives, we'll find it. And Jesus says, deny yourself. And it's the only way. And by the way, Jesus doesn't want you dead. Jesus wants you very much alive. But he wants that heart to surrender, full-blown white flag saying, okay, this is the day I die and the day you live. Does that make sense on who's in charge, who's boss? Self has to die. Not you die, self has to die. And the day, and some people, when they accept Christ, they die. And other people, they just, well, I believe he did those things, so I'll start there. Well, that's a nice start. But did you ever die? Because if you never died, it's really hard to be led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God can't lead a life that's never died. Does that make sense? If we've never died to self, there's going to be an ongoing struggle. And the biggest driver of that struggle is who's in charge. And if there was a day in your life that you said, no, I already died. Then the Spirit can lead you. We have to just be reminded when we take charge up, I got to let the Spirit lead. But if we've never died, we've never given the reins to God. We've never said, Spirit of God, lead me, guide me. I want to follow you. We've never really done that. And so self is huge. We can either live for ourselves or, or live for Christ, but we can't do both. It won't work right. It's, uh, the term that came up in the Bible is double-minded or double-souled. Think about that, double-souled. That's a... Pretty radical visual. Picture someone walking, you walk up, you look at yourself in the mirror and you got two souls. It's like, whoa, there's my, this soul and this one wants to follow God and this one wants to follow myself. There's two souls going on. It's like, that's why we've got to die. And if we've never died to self, we will battle with the next one forever, the giant of desire. If we've never died, our selfish desires will always rule us. If we have died, when desire comes up, we just need to keep it in check. Does that make sense? The desires are always going to come up. But at least we can say, you know what? I did, I'm not my own anymore. I was bought with a price. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. But if we never died, why would we ever say that? If we ever died, it's my stuff, my life, my future, my this. My, that's just the way we, we believe in Jesus. But we're still saying it's mine, mine, mine. 
and we completely miss out on what the kingdom of God is all about. So that was a, a huge one, dealing with self and desire. Paul understood this. He went through a lot of processes to finally understand whose he was and that he's not his own. And he writes in Philippians 4.11, he's like, look, I've learned to be content in all things. I realize I'm not my own. Uh, I've really been crucified with Christ. And that's the part of dying that we have to do. It's like crucified with Christ, wow. And then pick up your cross and follow me, meaning don't go through life like the Eeyore, like this is such a bummer, that's not what that is. Picking up your cross was to say, it's just my reminder, I already died. I'm not my own anymore. I died once before, now I follow him. And so this is really important. Um, The other thing about our desires that we said, and this was huge, that our desires always promise something that they can't deliver on. And that's the huge thing about desires. There's so many desires that you and I have or can pop up when we think about. They promise something that they can't deliver. And Solomon was our case study when we looked at this giant in detail of a guy who pursued desire and had an abundance of everything you could ever imagine And finally goes, this is pretty lame, actually. I don't feel complete. I don't feel content. I don't feel happy. I don't have joy. Why is it? He realized that desires presented something that they couldn't fulfill. They couldn't fulfill uh, that, that promise. So what you and I have to do is we have to discern. We have to discern which desires are fulfilling and which ones are not. And here's where the battle lies. The flesh is offered a whole lot of desires And a lot of them aren't going to bring satisfaction. That's just the reality. They won't bring true joy to the soul. But if they're godly desires, and he knows our heart better than we do, he can fulfill and satisfy in a way that it blows everything else away. And we want that satisfaction. We want satisfaction in the Lord. We want that contentment in the Lord. That's the zone we want to be in. But what happens is these fleshly desires come up, and we chase and pursue them, and they still don't satisfy. That is a giant that's killed many. That they've started out well, but somehow these desires started to rise up and this started to become their pursuit. Yes, I love God, but I'm going after this stuff. And somewhere along the line, this giant began to rule them. So the sixth point this morning is our, to discern our desires and consecrate our choices. When you have a desire, discern, is this a good one? I mean, really, is it good? Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything's constructive. And, and to consecrate the choices, this is how you do that. You simply say, I don't care what you want. You want a new car, you want a new house, whatever it is. Say, Holy Spirit, what do you think? And the Holy Spirit might say, yes, enjoy the fruit of your labor, and you've worked hard for it. Just consecrate it, and it's a blessing. Hallelujah. Or it might be a season where he's like, yeah, that's the wrong time and the wrong motive and don't chase that because that's going to that's gonna get you off track of my calling. Does that make sense? Holy Spirit, what do you think? That's a great, great test for that. And the last giant we dealt with, and this one is, this one's a big one because some of these other giants are ones we have to deal with here. They're in our heart. They're in our mind. It's our past. It's unforgiveness. It's doubt. It's fear. There's self. All those things. But the last giant we left in the line in the series was the giant of spiritual warfare because that is legitimately out there. That isn't here, it's out there, and it's real. It's invisible, but it's real. 
We said the mistake some make is to blame everything on the devil when we shouldn't, but some ignore the reality of the spiritual realm and the invisible dominions and principalities and are ignorant to it. And that's not the thing either. Um, Too often people try to fight their spiritual battles in the natural realm. And you can't win spiritual battles in the natural realm. They've got to be fought spiritually. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, God's like, I'm, I'm giving you tools. They're things for the invisible realm. Don't be ignorant of them. Use them. It's not just to kind of handle yourself. It's to demolish strongholds. You're like, whoa, really? In other words, in the spirit realm, God's got all kinds of grenades and bazookas and and machine guns for his people in the spiritual realm, so to speak, that some are like, I don't even want to talk about it. I want to ignore that. I'm going to pretend it's not there. God's like, I'm giving you tools that will demolish stuff in the spiritual realm. He's calling them strongholds. He's calling them strongholds. Strongholds are the giants we're dealing with. The giants that say, I am going to master you. And, And some people being too afraid to reckon with something and and, and being hindered, they hit a wall every time they try to go past something because the fear or the doubt or the unforgiveness or the self or the desires or whatever it might be, this is what has stopped them. It's like a, it's like a glass ceiling or it's a wall and they can't identify it. And the Bible's talking about God giving us tools that can demolish strongholds, strongholds, things that stop us. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for here it is, guys. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and the powers in this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's not talking about in God's presence. He's talking about in the invisible, the heavenlies, the, the next dimension, the dimension that we don't see. We're limited to our senses, and that's the world we live in. And the Bible's saying there's another dimension around us, and it is real. And there are spiritual forces of evil. I love the snapshot in Daniel of Daniel praying out to God and saying, uh, God, you know, I'm calling out to you. Would you come? And the angel Gabriel comes, but he shows up a week late. What's up with that? And he goes, Gabriel, got to let you know, the second you prayed, God heard your prayer, sent me right away. So don't think your prayer wasn't answered. But I was out in Persia battling the prince of Persia for a week, doing some serious warfare out there on the way. And then the angel Michael, the archangel, came and helped with that victory, and I'm here now. So God sent me right away, and you're thinking, what in the world is that all about? It's about what Paul's talking about, powers, principalities, dominions, and high places. God is greater than any force of evil. Two-thirds of the angels are on God's side, only one-third are fallen. The devil can't be everywhere all the time and do everything, but he does have strategic assignments and targets. And whenever you start stepping out for the glory of God, don't be surprised if you step into the radar. But if you're afraid of that, you'll never walk in the fullness of what God has. You've got to remember, we serve a giant slaying God, and stuff is going to come, but he's given us tools, he's given us weapons. So we have to learn to discern the enemy. When is it the enemy and when is it not the enemy? We've got to learn to discern that. Don't blame everything on him. And in Luke 4.13, the way he works, it says when Jesus was tempted by the devil, toe-to-toe, face-to-face, it said the devil left him for a more opportune time. Meaning, the devil will wait for your, it'll seem like the least opportune time for you and me, 
And to the devil, he'll say, this is an opportune time. When you're not doing well or you're, whatever's going on, and the devil's like, oh, this is going to be a nice time to segue right into the middle of something. And it's the worst time for us, but it's the best time to, for him. So he's going to look for vulnerable moments. We need to understand that, and we need to do what Jesus did. And this is our last point this morning. In fact, if the worst team would come up, that'd be great. Um, the last point this morning is to do what Jesus did for spiritual warfare. Use the weapon of the word and use the weapon of intercession. The weapon of the word and the weapon of intercession. Jesus, every time the devil did something, Jesus didn't debate in his mind or feel what he felt in his heart. Well, I kind of feel like maybe you shouldn't talk to me that way. No, he didn't do that. He took out the word of God. It is written. It is written. In other words, God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And if it's written, you and I can stand on it. That is the rock of our foundation. A wise man built his house on the rock it's the word of God that we stand on. So when the devil comes up with a lie or an accusation, we stand on the word. Jesus did use the weapon of the word and use the weapon of intercession. Don't just pray, Lord, bless my day and can you give me this stuff. Start to learn how to war in the spirit. Start to learn how to be a spiritual warrior. Start to learn how to discern some of these invisible things and pray against it. Because the Bible's given us tools, it's given us authority, remember to tear down strongholds. Everyone say, tear down strongholds. I don't know if you've ever functioned in that realm, but that's a tool you have. God's given you a grenade for that, and you're like, well, I don't know what to do with it, I'll just put it back. It's like, no, he's given you a grenade to tear down strongholds. There's a reality of that. The Bible says, pray with your intellect and pray with your spirit. There's a spiritual way to pray, be led by the spirit, and there's prayer languages. There's also praying for God to discern what is this in the spirit realm and, 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 and praying against these things. But there's an invisible realm around us. Don't blame everything on the devil all the time. But the reality is sometimes there is a real war going on and there is a real assignment. We need to call it what it is and we need to take our stand. We need to take our stand in a, in a real decisive way. The beauty is this, guys, and I just want to as we close in prayer, I want to just speak these scriptures over you uh, right now. As we just, maybe let's bow our heads. I just want to remind you of your position in Christ. When we talk about giants, you need to know your position in Christ. For if God is for us, who can be against us? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so in easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us victory over our giants, Lord God. We believe that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's your promise. Let us live as conquering people, Lord God, loving others and serving others. But Lord, when a giant rises up, decisively taking it out, standing on your promises, knowing our identity, Lord, let us walk in the fullness of who you're calling us to be. Let us walk in the fullness of the promises you have and the inheritance you have and the calling you have. And Lord, let not this stuff get in the way, Lord. Show us how to, 
how to break through these. I pray you identify to everyone in the room what these are. And Lord, as our prayer team comes up, I just pray if maybe one of these triggered off an area, um, Lord, we would pray and just take authority over areas, that there'd be breakthrough today, that from this day forward, these giants would have no place in the life of this family. We thank you for that, mighty God. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.